Uh, I was a youth pastor for a while. Uh, it's true. Um, that video is actually from 2007, believe it or not. And uh, yeah, that's a long time ago. Uh, and what's really, really funny is that's Derwin Gray. Um, if, you're, if you read a lot and things like that, uh, you will know his name. He is a very famous author now. He's a pastor of a very large church. Um, and so that's the way he started out, was doing things like that. He did play in the NFL, too. Uh, so we were looking for a, a, a football-themed uh, video, if you will. And I asked my family, is there anything that I showed from back in the day that uh, would work? And they all unanimously said this without me prompting anything. So... You can thank my wife and daughter and son for, for this video because they are the one that picked it out for sure. Um, and we'll actually kind of talk a little bit about evangelism today, just the, the, the idea of reaching out to people because it's so important. Um, and I, I've got an illustration for you, hopefully, that you can uh, maybe kind of identify with. All right? Today we begin a brand new part of this series in Luke. So we're going to rewind all the way back to Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to start in today with the teachings of of Jesus. I am so excited that you've joined us in this moment for this part of the series. And what's beautiful is, if this is your first time ever, or if you're just visiting, say, from Florida, um, like someone is, um, then you're, you're fine. You could come right in and jump right into this, this message today and fit perfectly. Luke's account of this life and this ministry of Jesus is unlike the other three Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and John. It's different. It's different than those two. All three of those, those books sorry, have their own purpose, their own meaning, their own audience that they were geared toward, absolutely. But Luke's audience is different, and his purpose is very different. He states right from the very beginning that he is writing this to a very specific person, a man named Theophilus. We just don't have names like that anymore. It'd be funny. Name your kids Theophilus. It'd be great. We don't know a whole lot about him, but the very, very first week of this series, back in September, we looked at who he might have been. We don't know anything for certain, but what we do know is that Luke is writing this book for this man, Theophilus, to give him an orderly account, and thus us, an orderly account to be certain of the things that we have been taught. That is so important in this world that we live in, that we are certain, absolutely certain about this Jesus. Luke says, he's writing to Theophilus, but I've always wondered if that's all the complete truth. Because we reveal later in, in the New Testament that we find out Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. He was a well-educated man. And we know that Luke became a Christian at some point in time in his wife, in, in his life. We don't know exactly when or how that happened, but the reality is at one point he wasn't a believer, like many of us, and then all of a sudden he was. He had a conversion moment, just like all of us, unless you haven't yet, and you soon will be a follower of Jesus. That's our prayer, at least. There was a time in Luke's professional life where he was a doctor, and he didn't believe in Jesus, and then he did. What happened? Well, some say it was Paul. Some say literally he was a convert of the Paul, the greatest missionary to ever walk the earth. We don't know that for certain, but we do know he was a well-educated man, and there's the odds of him blindly following some random traveling teacher that came to town and all of a sudden be all in is, is pretty unlikely. So there was something about that. But what we do know is that when he chose to follow Jesus from that point on, he was all in. We read throughout the, the rest of the New Testament, we find that name Luke. We find them in all of Paul's writings because Luke would travel 
with Paul on these missionary journeys, probably helping to tend to Paul's medical needs as Paul would get beaten and in prison and nearly dead multiple times. And wouldn't it be handy to have a physician traveling with you? Yeah, imagine, imagine God providing that for Paul as if he knew it would happen. So since Luke himself was a man of science, a man of reason, it only makes sense that he would set out to make complete sense of this man named Jesus and this story. He wanted to know the details. He wanted to know the names. He wanted to know the events, the specific teachings, and the specific locations of Jesus. Why? Why? So that he could be certain of the things that he was being taught Because, brothers and sisters in Christ, the reality is this. The more you and I are convinced about this Jesus, who he is, what he has done, and what he is doing in our lives, the more you and I will want to share these truths with others. The more convinced we are, the more we're going to want to reach out to the people around us and tell them about what we've been convinced of. You will be absolutely convinced, and then it will be your goal to absolutely convince others. And that's what Luke's doing through his gospel. So one thing that I want us to consider as we begin this study, and I'll mention this not every week, but on certain weeks specifically, I will mention this exact idea. I want, I want you to consider what if, what if the teachings of Jesus were never taught? What if he never taught these things at all? Now, let me let you in behind the scenes. I am not a what if person. I truly don't care about what if because it doesn't matter. All that matters is what is, right? But in this case, I don't think it's an irrational question because we're going to be looking back at what Jesus taught and wondering how the world might be different if he had never taught some of these things. It's an appropriate question for today because the world is seeking to erase the teachings of Jesus. And I want to know, do the people that are attempting to delete Jesus from history, do they understand the impact of his teachings and his words throughout the past 2,000 years of human history? Because I truthfully doubt that they do. Another thing that can happen in our society is people will take the words of Jesus out of context. Now, this can happen in the church as well as outside of the church. I've read multiple articles recently, and the next time we do a sermon series on just studying God's Word, I'll bring this in. Never just read a passage of Scripture. Never just read a verse from the Bible. Don't do it. But, but no, don't do it. Read the context around it to make sure that that verse is apl- applicable to whatever it is you're trying to apply it to. Make sure it doesn't ever mean more than what it originally meant to the original people that read it. And so just consider that as you do that. But anyway, people are always trying to twist the words of Jesus, trying to fit their agenda, fit their personal feelings in this world. And so that's why it is so important that we know what it really says, that we know what it really means, that we see how it applied to those people to to whom it was originally spoken, and of course, then how it applies ultimately to us. This is all very important in our spiritual growth as believers. So I'm excited, as always, to begin this part of the journey with you. And I mentioned it last week, but I'll be very honest, it was hard. As we went through all of those miracles to see some of the teachings that surrounded some of those miracles, like, oh, now would be... But I was nice. I I separated it. I allowed myself to do that so that we could share them all together now. This very first scene, or Luke chapter 4, it's the first time I've done that in a while. Luke chapter (laughs) 4. Some of you... Anyway, Luke chapter 4 is where we're at. 
This is one of my favorite scenes from all of Jesus's ministry. And I'm not, I am not joking about that at all. I'm being very serious. I would have loved to have been at church part of the time on this particular morning. Just, I would have loved it because you just never know. You never know what might happen, so you should never miss a Sunday because you just never know how might, God might move, first of all, in your life on any given Sunday, but how he might move in the lives of others on any given Sunday around you. Both are things that you just don't want to miss. You just don't want to miss these opportunities in life. So Luke 4.14, Luke 4.14 says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone was praising him, all right? So get this mental picture in mind. Jesus returns to his hometown. Since he's left, some things have changed. He's been baptized by John. He's been tempted by Satan. He's begun teaching in synagogues and in that region and begun to perform some miracles, now, Luke doesn't tell us what those original teachings were or what those original miracles were. You've got to look at the other Gospels to put those pieces of the puzzle together. But what he does do is he sets up this very intentionally, because remember his purpose. He wants us to be certain that this is Jesus. And so he sets up his book this way. He shares with us some very specific things. His goals are as follows. He wants the reader first to know exactly what kind of Messiah Jesus is going to be. He wants to spell that out from the very beginning. Before we get to the miracles, before we get to the teachings, here's who Jesus is going to be. It's established in this very text we're going to read. The second goal would have been to give the reader a very early look on exactly how Jesus was going to be treated throughout his ministry. How is his message going to be received Third, he wants to let people know from the very beginning that this ministry, this Messiah isn't just for the Jews, that Jesus came for the Gentiles as well. And that fact that we'll reveal here in a minute was a shocker to anybody there that day that was listening. All right? So what I want you to do right now is I want you to just take a look around the room. I want you to actually make eye contact with people. Look behind you, look beside you, look in front of you. I want you to look around the room. Imagine this is just an everyday, normal, average day at church, like nothing out of the normal at all. This is just how it works. It's just how it happens. Okay, go ahead. Now, some of you made some eye contact with some people that you do not recognize, didn't you? It made you uncomfortable. So after church, I want you to find that person that you just made eye contact with and say, hi, my name is. All right? All right, so we're all just sitting in church one day, and as I said before, Jesus would often show up at synagogues and preach and teach because that's what they did. And so everybody came to church that morning expecting a normal, everyday, average service. But then something changed. That traveling rabbi stood up, and when he stood up, they brought him the scroll. That's your cue, Corey. You're failing miserably. <laughs> I gave him one job. Simple. I trusted you, son. It's okay. We don't have a scroll, thankfully. Oh, goodness. That would, I'd be unrolling in, looking through. They handed him the scroll of Isaiah. It doesn't say Jesus picked that scroll. It says they handed him the scroll. And he unrolled it. And he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and to recover the sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says he rolled up the scroll and he sat back down, handed it off. 
And he had one final thing to say in that moment. And he said, and today, these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. And just like many of you right now are staring at me, that's what everybody in the room would have been doing with eyes wide open. What did he just say? What's happening? Like, that's not, wait, we've heard that passage before. Is that for real? Like, did that really? And they just sat there and they, they wondered. I, I want you to think about this. You see, the Jewish service is very traditional. It's very organized. It's very succinct. You knew what to expect and what to happen. You knew what was next. I know growing up as a, as a kid, I remember I could predict not just, not just the order of service, but when certain people were in certain places, I could tell you what they were going to say. Even as a kid growing up, some of you have done that. This for Jesus, this was the original, younger folks, the original Jesus mic drop moment. He just laid it all out there in that moment and just let everybody dwell. He just read one of the most famous prophecies ever written about the coming Messiah. And I want you to imagine that you were sitting in church that Sunday, Saturday on their case, Saturday morning. And Jesus sits down. What was everyone thinking? What was everyone thinking? Well, the first thing they were thinking is, huh, hey, that's Jesus. That's fun. Luke reveals something very important to us right away. He says, hey, you know what? It was Jesus' custom to go to church. Yeah, Jesus showed up every Sunday morning. It's what he did. In fact, it seemed as if the people expected him to be there. They found out he was in town. They expected him to be at church that morning. I want to ask us a question. Is that something that can be said of us? Is there an expectation that you're here on Sunday morning. Do we honor God in this way by making it our custom? This was Jesus honoring his father. It was his custom to go and honor his father in this way on the Sabbath in the synagogue. Can that be said of us? Is that part of who we are? Can others in the church depend on us being here? When they think throughout the week, maybe on Saturday, like, man, I hope so-and-so is there tomorrow because I need to talk to them about this or ask them about that. Can people make that assumption about you and I that we will be here for that opportunity. You see, here's the reality. Every time we gather, can we count on each other being here for one another? God has an important role to play through you as we gather, every time we gather. He had the desire for you to make this time a priority in our schedule, a time to worship Him, a time to give thanks to Him, a time to serve Him, a time to learn, and a time to grow, yes, but there's another, even a more amazing reason to be here. And if you and I were reaching out the way we should, if, if the evangelism linebacker Derwin Gray was chasing us around, if we were reaching out the way that we should and inviting those to come and hear the word of God and come worship with us, we would never miss a Sunday. Now, why would we never miss a Sunday? Well, let me give you an example from student ministry. I had the privilege of, of leading a ministry for 12 years. And there were a few individuals, and it was very few, Okay, But there were a few individuals in our ministry who were awesome about inviting people to be a part of the ministry. I mean, it was incredible. Sure, they would invite their friends, but honest to goodness, these students would invite anyone. Really, they would. They had no fear. Now, here's the thing about those students. You know what? They were there every single Sunday. And every single Sunday, they would wait just inside the church doors or out on the sidewalk, and they would wait and look with anxious eyes to see if any of those people happened to be coming that week. They were hoping and praying that that would be the week that their teammate would show up. 
that their friend would show up, that their boyfriend would show up, that their girlfriend would show up, that their coworker would show up just to check things out. And inevitably, when those people did arrive eventually, you can't imagine the glow of their face. And some of them literally would sprint down the sidewalk underneath the overhang to go grab them and give them a hug. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so thankful you're here. I wish you could have seen that reaction. And I pray for God to give us adults that same heart. That the people we've talked to, the people that we've invited, the friends, the family, maybe we've been inviting them for years, that we stand inside the doors on a Sunday just waiting, praying that one day they walk in and we get that chance to finally meet them in his house. Because the reality is if you do that in life, you will never miss a week because you never know when they might be here and you don't want to miss them. That one week you stayed home because of this or that or the other and your coworker showed up here, oh, oh, that just makes you feel awful, doesn't it? You don't want that to happen. And so it's just part of who we're to be as believers if we're out there reaching the way we should. Now, we've talked about this, this idea in the New Testament of those traveling rabbis and the Old Testament as well, speaking or greeting during the service. And it said that Jesus had already been doing this all around this region but this was his probable first time back in Nazareth, literally his hometown. So let me read those words again. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover the sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and everyone was staring at him in that synagogue. And he began saying to them, today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, just a quick note about the book of Luke. In Luke's writings, there are more recorded, fulfilled prophecies from the Old Testament in the book of Luke than any of the other Gospels. He really, really, really wants the reader to be absolutely certain of who Jesus is. He's exactly who they said, who God said he was going to be throughout the entire Old Testament. So Jesus reads from the book of Isaiah, but he does it very differently. Yes, the words were written that way, but he truly identifies this in first person. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, this guy reading. He's anointed me, this guy reading, to proclaim the good news for me to proclaim freedom and forgiveness to the prisoners, me to heal the blind, and all those things that Isaiah wrote hundreds and hundreds of years ago about the coming Messiah. Yeah, guys, by the way, that is me. <laughs> and as you're sitting in that audience and you're watching him read and you hear him say that, what do you begin thinking? You see, elsewhere in the book of Matthew, for example, in chapter 7, it's recorded that when Jesus taught, when Jesus spoke, it was different. It wasn't like the other teachers. It says he spoke as one with authority. I wonder why. And people listened differently because of that. These people, they'd heard this before many times, but something was different. Look at their initial response, verse 22. All spoke. Everybody in the room was looking around. They're speaking well of this guy. They were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. But then they asked a question. Isn't, wait, isn't, isn't that, that Joseph's son? They asked. It was, was kind of like, whoa. Man, and this, this guy knows what's, what's up. up. Like, wow. But there's something weird. Isn't that just Jesus? Isn't that Joseph's son? Ain't that the guy that made our dresser for us, honey? Like, 
I recognize that. Yeah, he made my rocking chair. I remember that. Like, what's going on? He's not well-educated. He's just a carpenter. There's no, no way he could be the... No. If you would have been there, you would have been having that same conversation in your mind, wondering what is going on. But notice at this point in verse 22, everybody's opinion is favorable. Like, no, well, who knows what's going on exactly? But here's what Jesus knows. He knows what everybody's thinking. So he begins and he continues speaking. Now he's sitting in the room. He's not standing. All eyes focused on him. Everybody whispering in their seats. And he says, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And then you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. You see, Jesus knows what's going on. He knows they want him to perform signs and wonders there in Nazareth, like he has in other places already. And everybody's asking why. If, you're, if you think you're something special, why aren't you doing that here? You need to prove yourself to us here in your hometown. And he knows they're thinking these things. And so he continues, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. He tells them exactly why he hasn't done a single thing in their town. You don't believe who I am. You think I'm just Joseph's son. You think I'm just a carpenter, just Jesus. They don't believe. Their lack of faith is the reason. So he goes on and he explains that further. It, it's kind of like, um, it, it's, it's so funny the way Jesus does this. And you might think, oh, how does he know? It's happened to you before. Right? You've been sitting there thinking something, and the word just like speaks to you as you're thinking it. And you're like, wait, how, how did you know what, what's going on in my life right now? I get accused of that sometimes. Pastor, was that sermon for me? No, yes. Yes, it was. I, I did not know anything that's going on in your life, but God does. And so you hear it through the, the, the ears of your life, and you hear God's word applied directly to your life. And you're like, oh, that hit home. That was very personal when you were saying that. And I say, praise God, because he's the one speaking, not me. So Jesus knows what they're speaking, and he draws in these two famous, famous, famous Jewish prophets, Elijah and Elisha, in verse 25. I assure you, I promise you that in the times of Elijah, there were lots of widows in Israel. When that sky was shut and we had that three-and-a-half-year drought and that famine that went on throughout the land, yet you know what? Elijah, he wasn't called to help any of those widows. No, in fact, God called him to Zarephath, to the region of Sidon, to help a widow there. When Israel had been cursed with that drought, there were people all around Elijah who could have, he could have helped. But Elijah wasn't sent, to God, sent by God to any of them. Why? Well, because of their lack of faith. And then there were men in Israel with leprosy during the time of Elisha, the prophet. But, you know, he wasn't sent to any of them. No, he was only sent to Naaman, the Syrian. You see, both Elijah and Elisha, these two great prophets of the Jewish faith, they were sent by God to help those in need. But those in need were not Jews at the time. Now, why is Jesus sharing this? Why does it matter? Everybody knew these stories of Elijah and Elisha. So how do they relate to this moment? How do they relate to the Messiah? And then for some in the room, it clicks. This man is saying that the Messiah, when he comes, is coming for people other than the Jews as well? Ah, couldn't be. Well, yes, actually, yeah, he is saying that, and it's true. And then it says it really clicked. 
that that's Jesus, and Jesus is claiming, A, that he's the Messiah, and B, that he's come for the Gentiles too, and that was too much. The gracious words of verse 22, where everybody looked at him favorably, now changed in verse 28 dramatically. It says, all the people, not some, not a few, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of town, they took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built and they, in order to throw him off the cliff. But then Jesus, as Jesus would, he somehow walks right through all the crowd and went on his way. Now, I asked you to sit in the service and imagine Jesus standing to read that. Imagine all the eyes. Imagine hearing everything that was being said. Is this how you pictured church going this Sunday when you showed up? (laughs) Did you have that expectation that by the end of service, you were dragging the preacher out to throw him off a cliff? Hopefully not, okay? All right, we got some good food later today. I'd like to eat it. It'd be great, so please don't do that. Um amazement, disbelief transformed into anger and hatred toward a man that you thought you knew. This is the beginning of Jesus's ministry. This was his first trip back home being Jesus, if you will. And what happened? They want to murder him on the first trip home. What a way to begin your ministry. Yes. (laughs) He's rejected. But he's not booed like you'll see at the game later on today. He's not heckled by the crowd. No, they, they try to throw him off a cliff. I still don't think you can. They tried to throw Jesus off a cliff. That's big. Like, what, what is going on? Here's the reality of that. You've seen it happen in our very own country and not so distant times ago. When mob mentality sets in, the human is capable of immeasurable amounts of evil and not even know what we're doing everyone, it says, was involved with that. Did everyone believe that? Did everyone want to participate in that? No. No, but they got caught up in the moment and what everybody else was doing. And that's how Jesus slipped away. It wouldn't even need to have been a miracle that he slipped away. The mob mentality was rushing to go do something, and he just politely excused himself from the mob, and they didn't even notice because they were so full of themselves in that moment. He slips away. And my guess is he leaves town. And he wasn't Paul. He didn't go back in and say, okay, I'm still here. No, he went ahead and and went away. But there's a question to ask here. How did that moment affect Jesus? We don't know. It's not recorded anywhere, but it affected him mentally and emotionally. And we know it did. Why? Because he was fully human. There had to be an impact. This group of people in that synagogue that day, he probably knew every one of them personally. Not just as Jesus, but as Jesus that grew up in that town. This were his, these were his friends growing up. <laughs> these were his neighbors. These were his mentors. Yes, these were his clients, his customers as a carpenter. He knew the day was coming when he would be rejected by those people, but it doesn't make it any easier. I'm reminded of a line from a message that, that I preached last summer. It was on August 22nd. It was the date. God led me on that day because of life events that happened earlier in the month, to share with you all a little bit about God's faithfulness in my life. And so if, if you weren't here then or, or you weren't able to be here that Sunday in August, I would be honored if you would go back and, and listen to that at some point in time because it was a very personal, personal message. It was very difficult to share. You can find it on our YouTube channel. Just search Berea Christian Church. There's a link to past messages on our website, bccbrazil.org, or you can find it on the podcast, escapeyourself.whatever. <laughs> Just search Escape Yourself. You'll find it if you spell it correctly. But the title of the message was this, 
Don't you want to see what happens if you don't give up? Don't you want to see what happens if you don't give up? I believe as a believer, if, if you and I share that common faith, this should be one of our mottos for our lives. And the reason that I believe that is because um, how could we ever give up? Because we know that Jesus will never give up on us. How could we possibly give up on him? This life that you and I get to live, it's a gift. Every breath, every moment is a gift from God. I didn't say every moment would be easy. Jesus promised otherwise. But just like our understanding of Jesus, the more we appreciate the life that he gives us, the more we love this life that he gives us and the one who gives it to us, the more should we should want to see what happens if we don't give up. It's so important. So with this rejection, Jesus continues on anyway. The rejection by the people who knew him on this earth the best, the people he grew up with, they rejected him completely, but he didn't give up. He continued on his mission. It was just starting. One of the biggest issues that the people had in that moment on that morning was simply this, that they heard Jesus' words and it messed with who they thought the Messiah was going to be, who they wanted the Messiah to be. Because Jesus in this message revealed he wasn't going to be some political leader. He wasn't going to be some military leader. He didn't come at that time to overthrow the Roman Empire and literally sit on King David's throne. No, instead, he came to proclaim good news to the poor. <laughs> yeah, that the kingdom of the God is for them too, not just the people who thought it was for them. They wouldn't be left out. Jesus came to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, not just the prisoners that come to mind first, those actually in chains, but those that were imprisoned by demons, by sin. Anyone who the devil had a hold on in some way, Jesus came to set them free. Yes, he came to physically restore the sight of some blind people. That is absolutely true, but there was more to that. He came to give spiritual sight to a generation lost in darkness. Jesus was and is the light of the world. Even those who hated him in his day were still drawn to hear him, and there's a reason for that. What's really cool is that same thing can be said today. If we are truly preaching the good news of Jesus and living it out, people will be drawn to him through us because that light still shines so bright and people in this dark world are still drawn out into the light. He still longs to set the oppressed free and it's still our duty to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which began in this moment, in this passage these are the reasons Jesus came to this earth, and if you are a believer, if you've chosen to follow him today, then these are the reasons that we have to share today as well. This is why we're here. This is what we are to do, to carry this exact message of Jesus from this first little mini sermon, if you will, on that one church morning in the synagogue, to carry on this message to the lost and dying world, to give it the hope that's found in Jesus. We're going to continue to live in the year of our Lord's favor until he returns one day because he has come and he has lived and he has died and he has resurrected from the dead so that we can live in his favor until one day we're in his presence. The path to Jesus is now wide open and it began in this moment when he proclaimed this good news and anyone who chooses to follow is welcome. And so, Today, as we consider the later events of today and all the distractions of this world, if you are not on that path yet, 
If you have not chosen to begin to walk that path with Jesus yet, would you please consider coming along with us? I promise you we're going to trip and fall on the way. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to take a wrong turn now and again. It's going to happen because we're all human. But will you join us on this path? A lot of people are like, well, I'd like to, but. There's always a but in humanity. But I got all this baggage. You know what? Don't worry about your baggage. Jesus has that taken care of. Don't worry about getting all your stuff together before you come to him. He's got that taken care of too. Don't think that you don't know enough or that you're not good enough to follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, don't give it another thought ever in your life because Jesus has that too. He came for you wherever you are right now today. He came right now for you. You need to do nothing but come to him. And he's waiting. Father God, as you watched your son stand in your synagogue on that day, (laughs) and he read those words that Isaiah wrote so many hundreds of years ago, words that you gave the prophet Isaiah to record, they now all of a sudden realize they're put into flesh, they're standing amongst your people And I can't imagine, you were a father, I can't imagine how proud you were of your son as he stood to read those words and then declare in everyone's presence, hey, uh, yeah, that's me. (laughs) And then I can't imagine your heart breaking as the people who your son came to save stood to reject him (laughs) and literally tried to drag him out of town and throw him off a cliff. This climax moment of Jesus' ministry as he reveals his identity to the people was immediately rejected in the worst possible way. And as Jesus' heart broke for those people in that moment, as they were so angry and caught up in that mob, Jesus was thinking at the cross. His, His mind and his heart was already there. And he already knew that he was going to offer himself up. He couldn't allow them to kill him because he was going to willingly offer his own life for those very same people who were trying to throw him off a cliff. How he dealt with that every day, I I don't know. Looking at every one of those people every day, just like he looks at us today, with that same heart of compassion, knowing that we're going to fall short, knowing that we sin, but knowing that he came to save us from that. Father, there's anybody here today that's not on that path yet, has never chosen to fully embrace you, then I pray today is the day that they come forward. If they are, have been on that path, but they got off, then they took a wrong turn. Satan led them astray. But Father, somehow, someway, they've made it. They've made it to, to this place today, or they've made it to their computers or phones today, and they're watching this, and they're wondering, well, will God take me back? <laughs> Absolutely. He comes running like that friend that he invited to church, and he's waiting for them to come right on back to him, and he goes running to them and picks him up and welcomes him back. Father, we long to do that with those today that might be here for that reason. And Father, we know there are people today that are here that got lots of stuff going on in their life. They're distracted, they're busy. Maybe they've fallen victim to sin. Maybe they're depressed. Maybe they're discouraged. Maybe they're anxious about this world in which we live. All of these things are understandable. We want to join them. We want to pray for them. We want to offer whatever help and support and hope we can for them through your word, through your spirit. We welcome them to join us up front and just allow us to pray over them this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence here this morning.